Well, good morning. I'm uh, Jim Hunter. I'm your guest minister this morning, and, and I want to tell you that it's, it's a blessing for me to be here this morning. I, I, I love this church. Catherine and I retired to this area about three years ago. We visited it here some from, from Old Fort where we live, and, 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 and we love this church. We love what you stand for, what you say, what you do, the impact you've had on this city and this, this region, and it's, and it's good to be with you, a, a blessing to be with you. It's a particular blessing for me because my parents and I, when I was a little boy and my little brother, we attended here in the early 60s, so uh, it's kind of cool to be at a church that you attended when you were a little boy, so this is a blessing for me today. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Before I get to the sermon, let me, let me tell you, let me, let me share something with you that, that I found kind of interesting, and, uh, and I guess it comes under the heading of how, what happens when, when story becomes real life. A long time ago, several years ago, when I was a pastor in South Carolina, I was invited to, to be the guest minister at churches now and then, and that happened throughout my career like it does with everybody. And, and I decided that rather than just walking up to the pulpit cold, I would come up with a little story that I would share to be an icebreaker. And, and, and so I, I came up with this, and I would fit it for whichever church I was at. And if I was going to use it this morning at Central, this is the way it would go. I would say that you may be wondering how I got here this morning. Well, a couple of weeks ago, there was a staff meeting at Central, and somebody asked Rob, have you gotten a preacher yet for the 24th? And Rob would say, I have not. I have asked everybody I know, and I can't find anybody. And he would say, I am scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> and then Luke would say, well, if we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, let me call Jim Hunter and see if he can come. <laughs> now, that's just a story I made up. I'll be honest with you. I've used versions of that story over and over again, and I'll just confess to you this morning, I never really believed I was the bottom of the barrel. I, I, I didn't really think that about myself until a few weeks ago. <laughs> When Luke came up to me at, at Andrea's book signing and said, we had a staff meeting. Rob has asked everybody he knows, would you be available? So there you go. I, and I'll, I don't care. I'm still glad to be here. We're glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. Let me uh, set the context for the, the scripture this morning, and, and we've already had that uh, a bit in the children's sermon, but, but let me just point a couple of things out. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, the first eight verses, and the context is that in chapter 11, Jesus has raised his, his good friend Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was dead. He had been dead for four days. He, they had put him in the tomb. They had sealed the tomb with a huge rock. And, and Jesus got there four days after Lazarus had died and, and said, roll the stone away. Let me call him out. And everybody doubted him. Jesus, I don't think that's a good idea. He's been in there for four days. There may be an odor. But Jesus got them to roll the stone away, and he called into the tomb, Lazarus, come on out, and Lazarus came on out. That's an amazing, awesome 
perhaps the most awesome miracle of Jesus' ministry. But the undercurrent there that we sometimes miss, and I think that John wanted us to get when we read that chapter, is that Jesus going to Bethany to, to be with his friend, to raise his friend from the death, put Jesus in horrible danger. Thomas, one of his disciples, when, when he realized that Jesus was still going to Bethany, not very far from Jerusalem, Thomas told the rest of them, said, come on guys, let's go, let's, let's go die with him. This is the end of the road for us. Let's go die with him. So Jesus knew the risk. Everybody knew the risk of him doing that miracle so close to Jerusalem where they were making plans to crucify him. And he went. Well, again, that's that pretty, every, everybody pretty much knew that. But, but, but after that resurrection, they had to throw a party. They had to celebrate. They had to celebrate Jesus, and they had to celebrate Lazarus being back with them. So they threw a party. And, and just imagine being in that room when, they, when they're eating, when they're having that dinner, and just what that must have felt like. It must have been awesome, awesome to see Lazarus, to, to be in the presence of Jesus. It must have been joyful. I, he, I, my brother, my friend, he, he was dead, and now now he's sitting here eating with us. And it must have been frightful because you knew the plans that were being made. And then that room that was filled with awe and fear and joy was filled with the fragrance. That house was filled with the fragrance. The fragrance drifted out into the street because Mary took a pound of costly perfume ointment that Judas assesses at 300 denarii one denarii is a day's wage, 300 days wages, a year's worth of wages. Let's just pull a figure out of the air. Let's just say on the low side, $30,000 poured out on Jesus in just a few seconds. Let's read about that and then, and then talk some about it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now there's a lot going on there in those eight verses. There's a lot to distract us, a lot that I, I kind of think about, a lot, that, a lot that I question. I mean, the first thing that, that distracts me is, again, that was a year's worth of wages poured out on Jesus' feet in just a few seconds, just $30,000 out on the floor, covering Jesus' feet in just a few seconds. It also troubles me a little bit that, that to be honest with you, I'm, I'm on Judah's side a little bit here. 
Judah said that could have been sold and, and used for other stuff. That could have been sold and, and helped the poor. Just, I mean, I kind of got to give it to him. I think he might be right. That, that was just a few seconds. That $30,000 was gone. And, and think about what would happen if today somebody said, here's $30,000 for Central United Methodist Church. No strings attached. You guys use it ever how you need it. You could do some good stuff with that. Think about Haywood Street, your, 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 your mission, our mission. What would happen if somebody wrote Haywood Street Congregation, $30,000 today? Lives could be changed. Lives could be touched. I kind of think Judas has a point. But that's just a distraction for me, so we won't stay there. But, but while we're on Judas, something else distracts me there. They knew he was a thief. It says... He didn't want that money to help the poor. He wanted it for himself. He used to take what was put in there. Judas was a thief, so they made him church treasurer. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> and to be honest with you, it's a little disturbingly intimate for Mary to be kneeling at Jesus' feet, rubbing his feet with her hair. A lot of stuff that I question and look at, a lot of stuff that, that might distract us, a lot of stuff we might wonder what's going on here, but, but let's, let's kind of put all that on the shelf for a minute and let's talk about something that I know, I know, I know. I know when I read those eight verses, I know that Mary loved Jesus. She didn't say, Jesus, I love you, but I know Mary loved Jesus because she extravagantly showed her love. She, she made herself vulnerable to show her love. She risked to show her love. She courageously and strongly showed her love. She showed it out loud with her actions. Shouldn't really surprise us. I mean, Mary is the one that sat at the feet of Jesus, said, said the, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to let his word touch my life. I'm going to let his word change my life. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen the thing that she needed to choose. She chose listening to me. She chose following me. Mary's the one that when she heard that Jesus had come to Bethany to, to see about Lazarus, she, when she heard that Jesus was there, she ran to Jesus because she was hurting. She went to the one that loved her because she loved him. So it's not a surprise that Mary loved Jesus, but it sure is loud here. She sure did love out loud in these verses with her extravagance, with her courage, with her strength. One writer said, you can question Mary's extravagance, but you cannot question her love. I admire people like that. I admire people that, that, that love out loud. I admire people that, that are open with their hearts. I admire people that, that risk showing their love. I admire people that are extravagant. I tried that one time. <laughs> I was 13 years old. My mother had sent me to a church camp. I arrived at that church camp and pretty quickly, this little girl that was 13 years old caught my eye. I don't remember her name. That was a long time ago. But I remember thinking, that is one cool little girl. She is cute. And so for a week, I paid attention to where she was and, and, and I'm, 
I don't think I had the word stalking in my category in, in my vocabulary at the time, but but I but I paid attention to where she was and 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 when I dove off the high dive, I looked to see if she was watching. When I climbed the rope, I looked around to see if she was watching. When I was standing with my friends, kind of looking cool, I, I wanted to know if she knew that I was looking cool. I paid attention to where she was and what she was doing for a week. The last night of camp, they had a dance. And I thought, Jimbo, this is the night. So we went to the dance. And it was under a big pavilion. And, and I walked over to one side of the pavilion with all the other boys, kind of looking down and shuffling my feet while they played the music, while the girls on the other side of the pavilion were, were laughing among themselves and, and wondering if the boys were ever going to quit shuffling their feet and looking down at the floor. And, 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 and I just didn't have it in me to, to walk across that floor until one of the high school counselors, a beautiful young woman, counselor, high school girl, came up to me and said, to me, not to us, talking to me and said, you need to go ask somebody to dance. Any girl over there would, be, would love for you to ask them to dance. And I thought to myself, I did not know that. <laughs> so I started across the dance floor. I guess I figured that I would figure out how to dance once I got across on the other side. But I went up to my girl and I, and, I, and I asked her, I said, would you like to dance? And she looked away from her friends and, and our eyes made contact. And she looked at me and said, nope. <laughs> so I walked the 300 miles back across the pavilion to start shuffling my feet and looking down again. But my point there is that, that it doesn't always work out. It's hard. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's embarrassing to love out loud. But I believe that that's where we meet God. That's where we meet God when we open our hearts, when we dare to love, when we say, I want to be on the right side. I want to do what's right. I want to love. Chances are we've all been hurt by a 13-year-old at some point in time. Chances are we've all decided that, well, I'm just going to take that with a grain of salt. But, but the truth is it, it, th there are a lot of things that keep us from, from loving. There are a lot of things that keep us from being people of love. A lot of voices out there. It may be that a parent was too critical. It may be that a teacher, instead of broadening horizons, tried to put you in a box. It may be that society that has whispered something into your heart and mind. Society may say, you're the wrong color. You're the wrong nationality. You're the wrong gender. You have the wrong sexual orientation. You just need to sit over there and be quiet. Don't mess up. Just be quiet. Maybe nobody will notice. I mean, the list goes on. Of course, the strongest voice, the most hurtful voice, is the one that we carry ourselves. We say, we tell, to our, we, we tell ourselves, I know who you are, I know what you did, I know what you think, I know you, Jim. You can't do that. You need to just be quiet. 
You can't do that. Well, Mary pushed through at least several of those. Mary pushed through those, and, and, and she pushed through whatever might have held her back. And now for 2,000 years, written on every Bible, can you imagine how many Bibles have been printed over, over time? On, in every New Testament, in chapter 12, we read and we know Mary loved Jesus because she was strong, she was courageous, and she chose love. Again, I wish I was... I wish I was more like Mary. I wish I had that courage. I wish I had that strength. I, I wonder sometimes, maybe I pay too much attention to, to how much the perfume costs, or maybe, maybe I worry too much about how to do things the correct way. You gotta do things the right way. You can't, you can't risk doing things like, like it's never been done before, or maybe people will laugh at you if you try to do it that way. I wanna be courageous. I wanna risk. I wanna be like Mary. It seems hard, it seems complicated, but but it really isn't, is it? It really isn't hard at all. It really isn't hard to grasp. It's, it's pretty simple. It's as simple as do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's as simple as love your neighbor as yourself. It's as simple as treat other people's children the way you wish they would treat your children if the opportunity came to them. It's pretty simple. I've seen teenagers that got it like that. I used to run a, a, a camp annually, a mission camp in, in South Carolina, and, 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 and annually teenagers would come. They, they had to be 14, but, but often 14 was young enough that that would be the first time that they were away from mom and dad. They were away from the, the neighborhoods where they were comfortable, and, and I saw them quickly adjust. I saw them quickly step through their comfort zone, and, and I've seen 14-year-old boys and girls sit at the feet of ancient people living in poverty, listening to their life story taking in their life story, listening to the Christ in that, in that elderly person, just like Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him and took in the words of life. I saw a girl, I think she might have been 15 or 16. She came to her work site and, and, and we needed to repair the kitchen, make the kitchen more sanitary. And, and we told her, I was, I was in the kitchen and, and they said, we need you to clean out this, this, this refrigerator. She said, I got this. She opened up the refrigerator and every roach in South Carolina ran and scattered. And she said, well, even though an ordained minister was standing right next to her, she said exactly what you would have thought if you opened the refrigerator. Great scoobly booglies. That's not what she said. But she cleaned out the refrigerator. I've seen Charles, football player, a star football player. He came to one of those camps, and the first couple of days, he was just too cool to work too hard. But the last few days, he worked like a man on fire. We had to fuss at him to hydrate. We, we had to sit in the van and blow the horn to get him to stop at the end of the day. And I wondered, what happened to him? And he shared it. He said, about day two, I was standing out on the porch, trying to stand in the shade, trying to stay cool, literally. And that little baby, little about two-year-old, walked out on the porch drinking apple juice out of her bottle. And I looked at that bottle, 
and I saw a big clump of mold at the bottom of that bottle. And I decided when I leave, they're going to have a clean kitchen. When I leave, they're going to have running water. When I leave, they're going to have hot water. And he did it. He did what he had to do. He did what he had to do to show Christ's love to that family, to that little girl. He did what he had to do. I had a friend I used to work with several years ago. This friend's name was James. He was, he was the custodian at the church where, where I was one of the pastors. And, and, and he was a good custodian, a, a good guy. He became a friend. But James not only was the custodian at that church, he was the pastor at his church. Little church, small church in a little town outside of the town where I was serving. It was not related to a denomination, and it did not have a one-word name. It was not Central. It was not Trinity. It was one of those, those names of the churches where you got a three-point sermon in the name. I don't, I don't remember the name of it, but, but it was something along the lines of the church of the fire-baptized people, Jesus following, loving out loud, folks. <laughs> and James was that pastor. One day, a guy that was a member of that church one of those fellas that he knows how much the perfume costs. He knows how to do things the right way. He walked up to James and I while we were talking and, and he said, James, so you're a pastor? James said, yes. And he said, in the name of your church is fire, fire baptized, Jesus following, loving out loud folks. James said, yes, it is. And the guy said, James, at your church, do y'all run up and down the aisle? Do y'all jump on the pews and holler? And I looked at that fellow that knows how much perfume costs and how to do things the right way, and I thought, great scoobly-booblies. <laughs> but James didn't miss a beat. He said, and I've tried to grow on this for several years, James said, if necessary, I thought, there you go. Isn't that what it's all about? Doing what's necessary? It might be necessary to dance like nobody's watching. It might be necessary to, to show our love with extravagance. It might be necessary to speak out and call for justice. It might be necessary to reach out to someone who's hurting even though it's uncomfortable. Do what's necessary. Love out loud. Be extravagant. Aren't we talking about the heart of what it means to be a Christ follower? I mean, if we follow Jesus, aren't we following the one who loved out loud? Aren't we following the one that loved extravagantly? Aren't we following the one that did what's necessary? Follow Jesus. Love out loud. Let me close with this. One day, for everybody in this room, our friends and family are going to get together in memory of us. One day, our friends and family are going to sit around and they're going to eat some casserole dishes and some fried chicken, or maybe if that's not what your tribe does, they're going to eat some vegan food and some gluten-free something. But they're going to get together 
in memory of you. And they're going to ask a version of this question. What do, you, what do you remember about Jim or Joe or Jane? What was important to him? What was important to her? What did, what did she love? And people are going to answer one of two ways. They're either going to say, I don't know. He was kind of quiet about stuff like that. Or they're going to say, that's easy. She loved out loud. Amen.